1: How can the U.S. be in recession when the labor market is expanding so rapidly? Hey, everyone, welcome to The Daily Briefing. Jeff Schultz from ClearBridge is here with us today to help break down the U.S. payroll report and what it means for the Fed and interest rates. Hi, Jeff. So, yeah, Jobs Friday, and boy, this was a a bit of a shocker. The U.S. economy added 528,000 jobs in July, unemployment down to 3.5%. You know what is the, what do you think this number is telling us?
2: Well, I think this number is telling us what we've seen throughout the course of the first half of this year that the U.S. economy is clearly not in a recession quite yet. If you look at job gains, it was broad based. You um, saw the unemployment rate come down, and I think this put some pressure on the Fed to keep their foot on the brakes and continue to be. Very hawkish from a monetary uh, standpoint, and this was clearly reflected in uh, another rate hike priced into the markets over the course of this first year of this tightening cycle. So, all in all, um, the economy is still moving forward, although it's decelerating. um, We still have a a really strong labor market, and it's going to take some more pressure from the Fed to to bring that under pressure.
1: So, you just said something really interesting, and this is, uh, you know, this is I think what we need to dig into. You you were you said it. It we did have a strong Labor market, I think. And but now it's decelerating. So you see this number and you think, like, we're not only in pretty, we're not only not in recession, like, it's, it's pretty smoking here. I mean, this looks like a really good growth number. But, but what do we need to understand about the timing? Why are you saying it's decelerating when we have unemployment at 3.5%? Well,
2: the economy overall is decelerating. Uh, In fact, the labor market is continuing to be healthy. Just to, Kind of put a number around how strong today's print was. If you go back to the last decade, um, from 2010 through the end of 2019, the average job creation per month was 183,000. Today's print was three times that number, right? So you continue to have a a strong labor market, but you are seeing signs of deceleration across the economy. You're seeing it in housing. Um, The NAHB Home Builder Survey had its second largest monthly drop earlier, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, You're seeing weaker housing starts, weaker permits. Um, You're seeing it in manufacturing PMI, which tends to lead the economy by two quarters. Um, That came in at 52.8. But the more forward-looking component of that, new orders dropped to 48, which is uh, almost recessionary. So you're seeing some deterioration in the US economy, but you are seeing some pockets of strength. And the last area of resilience is, is clearly the labor market here.
1: Yeah. So you you actually, some of the stuff that you were talking about, I think you charted on sort of a recession dashboard, which I think is really helpful because you can't just look at this one number, right? You can't just look at jobs. And I've been hearing a lot of the people that come on our air have really been pointing out that there are leading and lagging indicators, right? And so something like an employment report, I think, grabs headlines, especially when it's this strong. When you look across your dashboard, which I think we're going to be able to pull up, what do we What do we need to think about in in terms of what is leading and what is what is telling us what's going to happen in the future, which is what we want to do with our investment choices? Right. And what's what's happening in the past? Does that matter? And where does jobs fall in, in in that lineup?
2: Well, jobs are are really more of a coincident uh, indicator. Um, You know, you usually see strong job creation, and then all of a sudden when you head into a recession, it drops pretty meaningfully. Um, But at 500 plus thousand jobs being created, again, I think we're going to see much more of a deceleration if we end up going into a recession. Um, But you can see from our dashboard, um, we've had a lot of deterioration in the dashboard over the last two months in particular. Um, In July, we had three indicator changes, and this is a stoplight analogy where green is expansion, yellow is caution and red is recession. And the three indicator changes that we had last month were commodities and retail sales, both going to red, the yield curve moving to yellow. But I think more importantly, we've gone to an overall yellow cautionary signal and recession risks are are rising pretty dramatically as the Fed tightening starts to make its way into the economy. And talking about the labor market really quickly, Maggie, although the headline jobs print is really important for the path of Fed policy, my favorite labor market indicator is initial jobless claims. It's one Mm -hmm. of the top three variables in the dashboard. Usually it's the last one to turn red and claims have been rising, right? They're up to uh, 260,000 per week. Um, If they continue to rise to the high 200,000 per week or maybe low 300,000 per week range, I'm going to be a lot more concerned that recession is going to be more of a base case than it already is.
1: That that's so interesting. And I think that, you know, one of the things we were talking about when we were, you know, with the editorial team when we were discussing the number and getting ready for the show was wait a minute, haven't we been seeing headlines about layoffs? I mean, we like almost every day we've been seeing, and maybe they're not massive, but they're pretty consistent. And we've certainly heard some of it through earnings as well, companies talking about that. That would be showing up in the weekly jobless claims. Why isn't that captured more in this monthly number? Can we? Can we, I don't want to say trust the number, but we know these numbers get revised. We know that um, you, both on a monthly basis and when the next month comes out and also at the end of the year, right? We, we talked about this in a recent interview on Real Vision. There's a big, like, goes back the year and 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 looks at everything and revises it. Should we not be putting that much faith in this jobs report or is the labor market strong? It's just potentially going to change or be one of the last things that changes.
2: Well, you make a lot of interesting points there, and if you paint a broader mosaic of the labor market, yes, this was a blockbuster print. But you get the establishment number, um, which we saw at 528,000 today. But also, you have the household number. So there's two labor surveys that are out there. And although the household number was positive at 177,000 this month, over the prior three months, it didn't. It wasn't positive. It was showing mm-hmm. a very different picture than the, the headline jobs number, um, with initial jobless claims continuing to creep higher from here. And let's not forget, job openings are down 1.2 million over the last three months, right? So you're seeing peak labor tightness. Uh, A lot of these pieces of the puzzle are pointing to a slower labor market rather than the strong print that we saw today. So Mm -hmm. I think it's going to take some time to get a better handle on which direction it's going. But I put my money on the fact that the labor market is probably slowing rather than staying as strong as this headline number suggests.
1: Are you surprised we're not seeing it yet?
2: I am I am surprised um you know I makes sense why you have you know so many job openings and this thirst for labor Last year was the strongest year of real economic activity in the U.S. It's 1984. You had pandemic-related issues um, with people not wanting to come back into the labor market and people who are flush with cash from the pandemic unemployment benefits. Um, but again, all of that is moving in reverse now. Um, you have a fiscal negative impulse uh, on the U.S. economy. A lot of those cash cushions have been spent and economic growth is clearly decelerating at this point. And the Fed really wants to tamp that down. So uh, my view is that even though this was a surprise number to me personally, um i, I think that we're going to see a materially slower labor market as we move to the back half of the year
1: mm. and if, if negative fiscal impulse, no basically no no benefits, no benefit stimulus packages coming from the government. Um and we know probably although a little one just passed, we're probably going to grind into gridlock as we head into the midterms. All right, so that's a that's a a, a sort of really great discussion on the growth picture. We know the other thing that really matters is inflation, especially when it comes to the Fed. And so, I always thought that, or, or you know, have had used to have economists tell me that the labor market's really important. Wages are really important because they're sticky, right? Your food prices go up and down at the grocery store, but once people get a raise, they don't give it back, um, and it gets kind of built into structural inflation. How much does the wage component? matter here and does the strength of the labor market the fact that it's hanging on so long is that a problem for the fed
2: it is a problem from the fed and you know there was again a mosaic, if you painted on wages, not all signals were pointing in the same direction up until the print that we got today, right? There's three major uh, measures of wages. You have the average hourly earnings that come out in today's report that jumped up to a half a percent month over month. Um, so that's a re-acceleration from what you've seen here recently. Um, you have the Atlanta Fed's wage tracker, which has continued to accelerate all year. It's at 6.7%. You have the employment cost index, the ECI, which we just got a week ago which showed acceleration. So two were showing acceleration, average hourly earnings up until this release were showing a deceleration. Now with this reversal I think the Fed has to remain hawkish um, because wage growth is not coming down to the level that would be consistent with a 2 or 3% inflation number. So uh, unfortunately, um, now that they're all singing from the same hymn book, um, I think this uh, may- creates a, a path for a hawkish Fed going forward. And I think the markets are uh, a little bit too optimistic for that dovish pivot.
1: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com.
1: Yeah, so we've got some great questions coming in. And and um, Joe, Roger, welcome to the conversation. Everyone else out there, feel free to drop them in and we'll get as many in as we can. Joe C asking, if the dashboard has turned from green to yellow, can it go back to green? or is this a sign that red is next? Essentially, can this be a soft landing? Great question, Joe.
2: Yeah, so if you look at the dashboard's history, which goes all the way back to the early 1960s, you've had 12 yellow signals overall. Eight of those turned into recessions. Four of those um, were non-recessionary. Now, in three of those instances, the dashboard turned yellow and went back to green. In only one of those instances, it went to a red signal and a recession never materialized. But I think importantly, with those three um, times where it went yellow back to green, in each of those instances, 1995, 1998, and 2016, the Fed had a dovish pivot. In '95 mm-hmm. and '98, they ended up cutting rates by 75 basis points in each of those instances. And in 2016, the markets were pricing in four rate hikes for that year, But Janet Yellen um, took three of those rate hikes off of the table in the early part of 2016. So the net effect was a 75 basis point loosening. Now, you fast forward to today, again, with this hot jobs number that we have here, potentially another inflation print that we're going to get next week. And then we're going to get in August uh, in uh, September before the next FOMC meeting. I don't see the Fed moving away from this current hawkish path. Of tightening um, with inflation with a nine handle on it currently. So again, there there has been instances where it went back to green, but the Fed was instrumental on, on those reversals.
1: So Roger, with another great question, if you knew the jobs report would be this big, wouldn't you have thought the markets would be down? A lot of people very confused by the market reaction we're seeing. And for those of you who maybe are out On a Friday afternoon or late Friday evening, uh, if you're in Europe or not in front of any kind of computer, we did see bond yields move uh, this day. We saw a spike in yields on the uh, 10-year, 2.8 and change right now. But stocks, and that's what uh, the question's referring to, remarkably calm. We saw the Dow up a quarter percent, right? NASDAQ was down a half a percent, S&P fractionally, small caps were up. And you see the VIX at 21 Are you surprised by that?
2: I personally am surprised when you first got the release this morning, markets were down about 1% uh, and they've rallied back. And this is, again, as you mentioned, with the rise of the 10-year treasury of around 15 basis points. Uh, I think the markets are sniffing out a weaker inflation print. I I think that's what the Mm. markets are signaling here. Um, There's a nowcasting tool put out by the Cleveland Fed, and they estimate what inflation is going to be uh, before it actually comes out. And the July print for CPI is expected to be 0.27% on a month-over-month basis. If you annualize that, that's 3.24%, right? Uh, And that's obviously because you've had lower energy and lower food prices over the course of this month. So if we get a CPI print, even though the year-over-year number is going to be high, it takes a long time for these changes to filter into those numbers on a month-over-month basis, which is what the Fed is going to be looking at, we get something in line with what is being projected by this now casting tool, um, you call it 0.3, 0.4 um, percent, I think the markets are going to continue to rally and have hope that maybe the Fed won't be as hawkish as what's initially feared. But that's my read into it. It, it certainly yeah. was surprising to me.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because um, Harry Malandri sat down with Teddy Valley. uh, Valli, uh the founder and CIO of a Global, um, recently. And they talked about something that I think is really relevant to this. And, and it was basically how rapidly everything's been moving. Let's have a listen to that clip.
3: Well, we came in this year and we were very, very negative on the bond market. Um, we were both thinking growth and inflation. We're going to continue higher, probably through into Q1, maybe into a little bit of Q2. Um and the Fed was just completely offside would cause them to to make a you know to place this type of catch up, which would not be good for a lot of risk assets. And that's pretty much played out. If we look at some of the leading indicators looking forward, all of them are straight lower. Um the thing that I'm contemplating working with right now is that we're things are evolving at such a rapid pace that I would have expected um some of the economic numbers that we've gotten recently, whether that be, you know, uh regional Fed surveys or um, some of the, the new orders to inventory ISM prints. I would expect these things to play out over a longer period of time, but everything is happening at such a rapid rate um, that the slowdown today is really taking hold. Uh, and that's partially due to what the Fed has done. Um, these were some of the largest six-month moves in, in two-year rates, and mortgage rates, and et cetera, et cetera. That's leading to, I just saw today, the two-month rate of change of meeting home prices is down uh, 11.9%, which has never happened before. Um, and you're seeing now huge big moves and on the prices paid front. Um, yesterday, ISM came out with prices paid, and it was the biggest move uh, to the downside in the decade, the fourth largest move since 1948. So things are just moving at such a rapid pace. So if I'm thinking about the world looking forward, I'm seeing growth that is still going down and accelerating pretty pretty swiftly, and inflation is likely to fall too as well. I think that's the biggest sort of variant view or variant perception I have on the inflation front and could ultimately be wrong, but sort of my base case is that inflation is going to fade much faster, um, call it by the end of Q1 than than the market thinks. So right now, for me, uh, if I look across historical growth cycles, all of those ratios are tracking the average drawdown of a growth down cycle, except for bonds. On average, bonds are up, uh, call it the long end, so 30 year uh, treasuries are up on average um, 24%, and now we're down about 15%. So there's huge discrepancy um, between how bonds are trading relative to a normal growth down cycle and where we're at today. Uh, and that's become our our largest focus. And it seems it's related to both the Fed and inflation. Um, so if I'm looking out over the next six nine months, I think inflation is really going to um, undershoot to the downside. Uh, which is where you're going to have some uh, significant amount of opportunity.
1: And that full interview is available on our website. And it's worth pointing out that Teddy's fund posted a 21 percent return in the first quarter because he got that inflation call right. Um, And Jeff, that inflation call is so critical now. And you definitely there's a wide Uh, I'd say, you know, field of opinion and not a lot of consensus on this. Teddy's in the camp that it's going to fall quickly. It sounds like you agree with him somewhat that you do think that we could get this turn in inflation
2: I do. I do. I think there's clear signs of deceleration. You're seeing it across the commodity complex, the energy complex, which is going to start to filter into those numbers on a month over month basis. You're seeing a lot of inventory glut at the retailers. Again, huge misses for Walmart and Target. Yet again, um, that discounting is going to make its way into uh, inflation. There is going to be some sticky areas. Obviously, shelter is going to be sticky. Um, Housing prices lead inflation uh, by about 14 months. And with Mm -hmm. home price appreciation still at very strong levels, that's not something that's going to come out of the overall inflation numbers until we get to the middle part of next year. Um, But I do think um, inflation is going to move down in a more meaningful fashion. But I think from the Fed's vantage point, what's that line of demarcation where they feel that that trend is well established and they can start to focus on saving the economy? Back in 1982, Paul Volcker and the Fed started to get very dovish uh, that year when CPI was running at 6 or 7%. And even though they got dovish, you fast forward to 1983, CPI fell to 2%. So you know, obviously, we were at a very deep recession, very different dynamic than what we have today. But I think the key here is inflation is a lagging indicator. And what's that line of demarcation for the Fed? Is it 4%? Is it 5%? It's certainly not going to be 2% or 3%. But what's that point of a pivot?
1: So so this is interesting and this came up with Darius yesterday for those of you who are listening. Are you looking at the and do you think the Fed is looking at the rate of decline of inflation or the absolute level? Are they targeting a level? I think do we, looking at- we don't know.
2: Well, we don't know, but I think they're going to be looking at the the month-over-month rate of change and the the level on a month-over-month basis, right? The year-over-year numbers are going to be very stale. They tell us where we've been, not where we're going. Um, And the key here is that the Fed was starting to focus on oil, right, Um, a couple of um, FOMC meetings ago because it appeared that inflation expectations had unanchored to the upside with that rogue preliminary University of Michigan inflation expectations number. It turned out to be a bad data point. It came back down. Um, And I don't think the Fed's going to be focusing on oil or food because they're notoriously volatile. I think they're going to be focusing on on core inflation. And if core, again, can moderate um, to levels consistent with maybe three or 4% and stay there, um, I think that opens up a runway for a pivot. But at this point, and what we have so far, the the Fed needs to to dig their heels into the ground and they need to stick with this hawkish narrative.
1: Does the Fed need to push the economy into recession in order to get that inflation down to where they're comfortable? Can that happen in a soft landing scenario?
2: If they want to get all the way to 2%, they're going to need to cause a recession, right? Given where how tight the labor markets are, I mean, at 3.5%, this matches 50-year lows in the unemployment rate. Um, again, we talked about wages earlier, um, which is a key source of demand, which stokes inflation. Um, in order to put the genie back in that bottle, you need to cause a recession. But if the Fed says they're comfortable living with a 3% or 3.5% inflation rate, uh, a little bit higher than what they've uh, wanted. But again, if they're comfortable with that, um, I don't think that they have to cause a recession, and we can't have a soft landing scenario.
1: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com.
1: Interesting. Um, by the way, we have some comments. You know, we look at this labor market and then you have, you know. Ordinary people kind of putting their finger in the air and saying, Hey, and, and we're getting some comments on Twitter from uh Vin D'Angelo and Chester. Um, Vin says that's 500,000 people taking second jobs in order to afford gas, food, and rent. Hell yeah, we anybody who just filled up their car, it's like it takes your breath away still, or their truck. And Chester saying, Just us working folk taking more jobs to pay the bills, nothing to see here. I mean, there is that, isn't there? That you know, are these sort of the, the, the gains in labor and employment that they look to be from the headline? Or is this just people because of the high cost of living and inflation just having to work more, part-time jobs, extra jobs, coming back out you know, of retirement in order to just make ends meet? I, I think
2: it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, there's probably an element there of people getting a second job in order to Live in these these high inflationary types of environment, but uh, again, I I still think the labor market is strong at this point. I just think it's not as strong as what we saw today with that print. Given the deviations that that we talked about with the household survey, with the jobless claims data as well, there's a lot of data points that are suggesting that that may be a bit of an outlier. As we get to a recession and this data is revised, it may be a much lower number than what we're currently uh, showing at the moment. Um, But nonetheless, I I do think inflation is playing a small part uh, in that uh, distortion.
1: Mm. So, so, you know, we're in a situation where there is a you just mentioned the Fed is hawkish and this number is going to keep them hawkish. Um, and we're trying to figure out where that demarcation line is, where they feel comfortable that they can make a pivot. Um, and so Joe is asking, should investors with against that backdrop, that framework, should investors stay defensive with equity exposure or should they take on more
0: risk?
2: I think this is the trillion dollar question. And you know, is this a bear market rally or is this something that's a durable low? And in my opinion, I think that this is a bear market rally. I think the markets are a little bit too optimistic. Now, in thinking about this bear market in particular, um, bear markets have two phases. The first phase is multiples contract. So PE levels come down and that happened. PEs went from 21.3 times forward earnings coming into the year, dropped down to around 16 times forward earnings. The second component is earnings expectations coming down. And we've just started to see earnings expectations come down on 2023. It's down about 3%, but I think that's a very optimistic number given the fact that I think we either are going to have a material slowdown in the economy or we're going to have a shallow recession. And looking at the last three recessions, earnings have come down on average closer to 25%. So I think that's a, too rosy uh, expectations are embedded into the markets and that needs to be priced. So even though this has been a tremendous six weeks and the markets are getting more optimistic about a soft landing, I think at the end of the day, earnings are are, are too rosy in either event, uh, whichever path that we go. And I see uh, some market pressure as we move later in the
1: year. Mm. So do you favor bonds then? Where, where do you see opportunity? I mean, Joe's asking what sectors look attractive to you, but but should we be asking what assets look attractive here?
2: Well, from a sector perspective, you've seen this bounce in cyclicals that was going to happen. There was a lot of negativity priced there. um, And now with the return of optimism of a soft landing and a dovish Fed pivot, um, it's not surprised to see those areas rebound. But I think as we look out on the horizon from a market or a sector perspective, you want to be allocated to more defensive areas of the marketplace. Uh, Traditionally, consumer staples and healthcare are the best performing sectors in a large slowdown in economic activity or recession. Utilities tend to do well, even though they didn't do very well in the 2001 recession. Um, So those would be the areas that I'd be looking for, really focusing in on quality companies, companies that have a high level of visibility on their earnings, strong balance sheets don't need to access capital in this type of markets. From an asset class perspective, um, I think growth over value. And you've seen that relationship reexert itself over the last three months with growth on the large cap side outperforming by about 5%. Um, But again, um, bonds, uh, you want to be really allocated more towards governmental bonds, high quality bonds, um, even had very strong rally uh, in high yield and some of the riskier areas of the bond market. But again, pricing in an optimistic scenario. So there's, there's areas of opportunity, but I, I think you really want to be thinking defensive at this point.
1: Bonds have been tricky, haven't they? Because I, we've heard people trying to make that bond call and um, and it's been a rough road. Do, do you see more clarity ahead?
2: It's not going to be a straight line uh, as yeah. we got uh, today. Um, and if we get a hot inflation print, You can certainly see the ten-year treasury and some more headwinds for for bonds from a duration standpoint. Um, But uh, again, thinking about how much oil and uh, food have dropped here, um, I think we're going to see a peak of inflation. It's going to come down in a pretty material way. Um, And if you're going to have a potential recession. I have a hard time believing that the 10 year treasury is going to levitate or move a lot higher from here. So um, I I think, you know, the path of least resistance for the 10 year treasury, even though you've had kind of a rebound here, is down from here.
1: Mm. Uh, And and Robert sort of echoing you on YouTube saying the only reason why inflation is down is due to the cost of energy dropping, nothing to do with these small rate hikes, Um, you know, again, I think a lot of people are are wondering. It's such a blunt tool that the Fed has. What are the what are, what are the risks that they just they over they overdo it? You know, they just they just hike rates too long, too far, and cause more pain to the economy than they even would like to. You know, we if we think they're they're trying to engineer a soft landing, they don't have a great track record at that. You know. What is, the, what is the, the probability that they overstep?
2: Well, if you look at the last 13 primary Fed tightening cycles since 1955, three have been soft landings. So oh. history is not on the Fed side. Uh, and if this tightening cycle goes forward as what's being priced today, 3.6% of rate hikes in the first year of this Fed tightening cycle, this would be the second fastest start to a Fed tightening cycle since 1955 only trailing 1980 when Volcker had to break the back of inflation. And given the fact that they're tightening into a slowing economic backdrop and the lagged effects of monetary policy, and they're doing quantitative tightening also, um, this all leads to a very strong possibility of a policy error. But if you listen to Powell and you listen to the Fed, inflation is Uh, enemy number one at this point. And they're more than willing to risk a recession in order to uh, maintain their credibility and restore price stability. So short Mm -hmm. answer to your question, I think there's a strong possibility of a policy error here.
1: Yeah. You know, we we tend to be, we're coming right out of the end of the U.S. close. So it's obvious that we're focusing on U.S. markets. Can the U.S. economy do well if the rest of the world is not? I mean, we have Europe looking just in dire straits uh going into this and the ecb just warned of uh you know they're warning about what's ahead and we know the fuel situation had the boe warning of a very long protracted recession in the uk we know china is uh growth is slowing we think maybe even more than they're admitting i mean can we be the only country growing well i mean don't we need the rest of the world to contribute
2: well there's an old adage out there when the u.s gets a Cold, the rest of the world gets the flu, uh, and, you know. So when we get a uh, hiccup in economic activity, causes a global recession. Mm. No other country outside the U.S. has caused a U.S. recession. So mm. while you know a lot of um, some of the U.S. economic activity is dependent on exports, uh, vast majority of U.S. economic activity is from the consumer. So we're a relatively insulated economy. Um, so even if you are seeing a slowing growth impulse, and you have a recession in Europe let's not forget, Europe had a recession in, in 2011, and the U.S. continued to grow. Um, I don't think that that's going to materially alter our prospects of a recession. And thinking about a soft landing, Maggie, there's a very plausible path to that. Maybe the U.S. consumer is less interest rate sensitive than they have been historically. Mm-hmm. Household leverage is at levels last seen in the early 1970s, and over 90% of Americans have fixed rate mortgages, right? Very different situation than when you had in 2007, um, when about half of the country had fixed rates mortgages. Um, maybe um, businesses will be reluctant to let go of their employees because the scarcest commodity of this cycle has been labor, right? You're seeing a pickup of initial jobless claims, but maybe it doesn't move a lot higher from here, especially considering that margins have just started to come down. And it usually takes about three years From peak margin to the start of a recession, and it's been two quarters. So again, our base case is a recession, but we do see a very plausible path to a a soft landing. But it's becoming more and more narrow as the Fed moves on this hawkish path.
1: It's so funny, Jeff, because it's your base case is a recession, but you just gave a really compelling argument for a soft landing. It's the best one I've heard.
2: There's certainly a path, um, but I talk to me
1: about that. That's a really great stat about the fixed mortgages. I haven't heard anyone say that. And that's a really, really interesting point. So half of Americans are on a fixed mortgage now. And what was it back in the financial crisis? Is it because everyone was on those sort of um, those, uh, all those different kinds of, they got roped into those floating rate mortgages?
2: Yeah. Back in the the housing crisis, it was 50% of Americans had a fixed, 50% were variable. So as rates moved higher, right? Disposable income, the, uh, it, it, it shrank. Right. Today, it's over 90% of Americans have a fixed yeah. mortgage. So the only people really being affected by higher housing mar- markets are people who just bought a house or that 10% um, that, uh, again, are going to reset higher with higher mortgage rates. Um, and also, you know, the one thing I'll mention that I think is really important from the housing market perspective is um, the biggest asset for the bottom 60% of American households is their house, right? Mm-hmm. And you continue to see home price appreciation right now. Um, because of this market sell-off, it's disproportionately hurting the top 20% of American households. And those are the same households that have the lowest propensity to spend an extra dollar, right? Their spending patterns are, are pretty consistent. So again, kind of thinking back to this soft landing scenario, I think maybe the consumer is a little bit less interest rate sensitive than what we've seen and may be able to weather the storm with the Fed tightening cycle and get to a point where inflation's at a much lower level.
1: That's so interesting, Jeff. And we were, by the way, uh, you know, again, the team, we were slacking about mortgage rates because they've had a huge move. But again, if you're you, to your point, if you're on a fixed mortgage rate, it's less of an issue. Um, very, very tough if you're in the middle of trying to close on a home. Um, So I feel for you all if you're out there doing that. Um, Jeff, this has been such a fantastic conversation. And we're going to keep coming back to these themes about growth and inflation, Um, because this is a really important period we're in. We're doing a lot of work on the academy helping everyone get your framework, right? So under the scenario, if you think there's going to be a recession, what do you do? You gave us some great tips on that. Um, if you think it's a soft landing and you just gave us some some good ideas about why that might happen, then you're going to be looking at different things and plug in your time horizon to that. Um, and it, it's going to be super critical. So thank you so much for you know helping us sort of dig into that jobs number and try to make some sense of it, Jeff. We appreciate it.
2: My pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: Fantastic. By the way, I'd love to get feedback from from everyone listening about what you think about that fixed mortgage rate. And are you hearing um, anyone concerned about the rise in mortgage rates or is everybody seem, you know, seem pretty good about it? I think that's a really fascinating conversation that we're going to have to continue. Um, Appreciate any feedback you're hearing from the folks in your networks. Um, Jeff, uh, have a fantastic weekend. Everyone out there listening, enjoy yourself. Stay cool. Stay hydrated. And we'll see you back here Monday.